Hi, and welcome to the Vote Her podcast, because when you vote, good things can happen. I'm Mara Davis, radio TV host, media consultant, mom, dog lover, and political enthusiast. And hey, I'm Jen Jordan. Um, Apparently, I'm a politician, lawyer, mother, and nerd, according to my son. I I just want you to know that uh, Jen wanted her son... Uh, to write out the description of, of you. How, how did the, I, I, I got to know what my son would write. Well, it's, it's correct. It's just, you know, it still hurts my heart a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are here and thanks for listening today. We've gotten so much great feedback from our first couple podcasts, Jen, and you've been sharing it on your social media at Senator Jen, which has been great. We've been getting a lot of emails from people, feedback, tweets, comments, concerns. Yeah, it's been pretty incredible. Um, I mean, mostly good, but look, we are definitely open to constructive criticism. I do like to say, um, please be polite. Um, you know, we're we're kind of a work in progress, but we're definitely open to uh, many of your comments or suggestions. That Southern, uh, you just keeping it, bless your heart. Gosh, that show really sucked. Bless your heart. <laughs> I, I actually really like the feedback and I like hearing from you when you reach out to us because it's it's using your voice can make things better. And that's really a lot of what what this podcast is all about. So we want to get started with voting. Now, the name of the show is obviously called the Vote Her Podcast. And in the news a lot the past couple of weeks has been number one absentee voting. Number two, double voting. Obviously, we're in one of the most important elections of our lives. Um, Even your dog, Mr. Bean, is very passionate about getting out the vote. Well, I think that was uh, in response to uh, Raffensperger's press conference this week, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's get to that first. Um, A lot of news was made from the president in North Carolina talking about double voting, which really raised a lot of eyebrows. We'll take a listen to what he said right here. On your uh, ballots, if you get the unsolicited ballots, send it in and then go make sure it counted. And if it doesn't tabulate, you vote. You just vote. And then if they tabulated very late, which they shouldn't be doing, they'll see you voted and so it won't count. So send it in early and then go and vote. And if it's not tabulated, you vote and the vote is going to count. You can't let them take your vote away. These people are playing dirty politics, dirty politics. Now, basically what he's saying is super illegal. Uh, Yeah, it is illegal. And it's probably not a good idea to tell your supporters to do that um, because they'll actually listen to what you have to say, especially if you're the president of the United States. Go figure. What do you think gave him that idea to say that? Uh, just to say, you know what? Just got to make sure, got to do it. I mean, that just seems like, do you think he just said that off the cuff or somebody said, eh, you know, just tell people to go do that? Oh, I think that's that's all Trump. I, I'll tell you, though, that um, one thing that he does try to do, and he does it effectively, is he he's kind of someone who causes chaos. And what he wants is for voting and absentee voting mail-in voting, whatever you call it, um, for people not to trust it. And so how do you create chaos and distrust of a situation? You kind of muddy the waters. Um, And if people listen to him and they do double vote, 
um, you know, it's kind of a self-fulfilling kind of thing where then it is not great, right? But isn't it hurting his cause in a way? That's what I never understood with the mail-in voting because like my mother, okay, she's 81 years old and she always mails in votes. She lives in Florida. That's just what a lot of older people do. If you're seniors, do that. And let's face it, a lot of uh, older people who are Republicans are really good at voting. Not only that, but look, the the Republicans have owned kind of the absentee ballot. Um, I don't want to call it a racket because that's not it, but um, it's really getting their people to cast absentee ballots. They have been on top of it. Um, They know who they they get them out to people and they make sure they get them back in. Um, And so time after time, Democrats have just gotten killed when the absentee ballot returns would come in because the Republicans have faithfully um, voted, especially in this state. And with respect to that, in terms of like his supporters, which is interesting, a lot of folks in the state um, this past week actually got applications for absentee ballots sent to them by President Trump purportedly. So it's one of these things where it's kind of, um, you know, you don't do it, but uh, unless you support me um, and then fill it out, get your absentee ballot, get it back in. Yeah. So here we are. um, We're in the middle of the pandemic. And as we know, the early voting in Georgia was a bit of a cluster, to say nicely. Uh, There were lines everywhere. I tried to early vote. Couldn't even get near it. There were so many problems, not everywhere, but in Metro Atlanta, there was there were problems. And when I saw that, the first thing I did, Jen, was I was, I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't know how long this pandemic is going on. I'm going to apply for an absentee ballot immediately. So I went Georgia.gov. I did the whole thing. And I, I we have looked it up and they have received my application, which is great. But now. With Raffensperger coming out saying people are double voting and this is a problem, I'm freaking out a little bit. Yeah, and look, that's that was part of the issue with with what the Secretary of State did. First off, he he made it sound like he had evidence that there were a thousand people who intentionally tried um, to commit fraud in this state. Um, but when he was questioned on it, he basically said, well, we haven't done the investigation yet. So this is a little bit of what he said. He made a big deal about um, this issue of a thousand people and he gave a press conference about it kind of out of nowhere. Totally out of nowhere. And it, and it made headlines, which is, I think, exactly what he wanted to do. Now we are looking at nearly 50 percent. As of today, we are looking at over 900,000 votes that will be cast for the November election and we're still two months away. Let me reiterate this. Every double voter will be investigated thoroughly. A double voter knows exactly what they are doing, diluting the votes of each and every voter that that follows the law. Those that make the choice to gain the system are breaking the law. And as Secretary of State, I will not tolerate it. As I said, I am working with every county to assure that double voting doesn't happen in November. There are those that want to try and game the system and that can't happen. We need to make sure every county is doing the necessary work of election administration in a timely manner. The laws, rules, and tools we have in place should keep double voting from ever happening. This is something I want to continue to focus on 
and our new election system gives us great tools to combat any kind of double voting, gaming of the system to protect the vote of the, all voters now and in the future. So this came out and a lot of people were saying, I, I was seeing on Twitter that people were saying, you know what, I applied for my ballot. I didn't get it in time, so I went ahead and voted. So are these thousand people who he claims to have, have, you know, done things illegally, were they just trying to assure their vote? Do you think there's, I mean, it, I don't, is it all shady? I mean, I'm no, sure there's no. some shadiness in it. No, it's not shady. And probably it, it deals with a rep, record-keeping issue, or this is my example. You apply for an absentee ballot, you get it. You fill it out, you put it in the mail, you check every day to see if it's received, right? It's not received. It's not received. Election day comes up and you're like, holy camoly. Like, it's not received. I know it's not going to get counted. The only way that I know that a vote that I cast will get counted is if I show up on election day and vote. Right. And I think a lot of people did that. But here's here's really the question. There's nothing illegal to do that necessarily. What you have to do is you need to fill out a form canceling your absentee ballot, canceling your absentee vote. And how do you do that? You get an affidavit um, from when you you step up, you tell them that you um, asked for an absentee ballot. They'll give you an affidavit. You fill it out because you want to make sure that you cancel that absentee ballot. Vote. So, okay, just to be clear, because I think this is really important, um, especially to me, because I'm really... I, this all came out and I started to panic. Like, did I do the wrong thing by requesting an absentee ballot? So you're saying you can go if you, if I'm going to go to early voting or can you bring that absentee ballot to the voting or, or, or. So the deal is what you can do, and this is also going to be confusing for people. You can't take your absentee ballot. Let's say you fill it out, Mm -hmm. right? But you don't want to put it in the mail because you want to make sure they get it right that day. You can't take it to your precinct. They don't accept them there. You can take them to one of the multiple drop boxes that are all around, specifically Fulton and Cobb County. Um, And you can just go to the Fulton County Board of Elections website or the Cobb County Board of Elections website, and they have a listing of all these drop boxes. Or you can go to the Board of Elections office um, and make sure you hand it to a person so that they actually receive it. Where's that, downtown? Yes, it's downtown. Okay. Because this is how serious this is for me. Like, I know I'm just one vote, but as we know in Georgia, one vote, I mean, we're still looking at how close it was between Kemp and Abrams. And we know that there was a lot of news about how the votes were counted and what was counted. And then we're hearing people who are purged from the voter rolls, too. Right. And, and, and so this is the deal. It, it, it's important to go and vote. And it's important to make sure that your vote is counted, period. That's just what it comes down to. And it doesn't matter which election it is, whether people think it's important or not. Um, Because at the end of the day, it's everybody's constitutional right to be able to do it. And so there shouldn't be anything or anyone standing in your way from being able to. And now, and and I think this is, I think we hear over and over and over again. And I don't know if the news media is overhyping this, but... They're saying, oh, all these people absentee ballot or mail-in ballots, absentee and mail-in are the same thing, correct? Absolutely. That's what's so crazy about it. I mean, usually people will say mail-in ballots um, when 
there's not, um, you don't have to provide a legal excuse to get it. Um, so Georgia, you don't have to have a legal excuse to get an absentee ballot. Um, that's been the law for a long time. And again, you know why? It's because it's benefited Republicans. So they made sure that that was going to happen. So there's no difference at all. And the deal is you can track your ballot. You can see if it gets there or not. Um, if you have any concerns, you know, you know, just stay on top of it. So you go to Georgia.gov. Is that where it is? It's actually the My Voter page. Okay. Um, at the Secretary of State's website. Um, you go there and then um, you basically put in your personal information that no one else has. It, it, it asks for a birth date. Um, and then you can basically see where your pre-scene is. You can see where your um, application for an absentee ballot, where it is in, in kind of the system, um, or if your absentee ballot has been sent to you yet. Um, and then once you return it, when it was returned and logged into the system. Now, this is reassuring. I know this because Jen and I, I think a few weeks ago, because I, I sent in for mine pretty early and we were able to see that it was received. And that made me feel a little bit better. But I have to say with all of this, I, I still feel a little nervous about everything. You should. I mean, look, the, the problem is when we have a president trying to undermine people's faith in the voting system. Um, so he's saying that people are going to commit fraud, um, but then at the same time also trying um, to, to basically hobble the U.S. Postal Service from getting absentee ballots back, you know, to the Board of Elections on time so that they can be counted. I mean, I get it. People should be nervous. And then the problem is, on top of it, we've got a pandemic. So we don't want people voting in person, but it almost feels like that's the best alternative. Well, they're saying that it's just as safe now because it's like going to a grocery store with all the early voting. Listen, everybody, just make sure you vote. And we're going to keep on talking about this because obviously this is very, very sensitive. And uh, as I was saying, the media is saying it's going to take days, uh, these elections offices are saying it's going to take days to count these votes after the fact because they have to be stamped by a certain time. So that's what's interesting. So currently under Georgia law, um, the only absentee ballots that can be accepted and counted, which is also why people got nervous before, are the ones that are um, received by the elections office on the day of the election. Right. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter if you postmark it on that day, um, the day before, whatever. And then when you put on top of it, the fact that now we're seeing longer wait times for mail, you just don't have kind of the peace of mind to know that, you know, I mailed it a week ago. So it's absolutely going to get to the Board of Elections. It's we, we have no clue. So what happened is basically there was a lawsuit that um where we have a federal judge who has now ruled that any absentee ballots that are postmarked on the day of or before um, election day, if they come within three days, if they come after three days of, of election day, they have to be counted. And so that's a really big change. Um, but I think it's a positive one. I think so, too, because I think you know, especially in Georgia, as we know, and we're going to keep on talking about this with the weeks to come, Georgia is one of those states that is really in the national view. I mean, Texas, Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania. 
Yeah, Michigan. Mich- Michigan, Wisconsin. But Georgia is one because there's so much going on here. Um, so that's why uh, we're going to keep our eye on this. So everybody get your absentee ballot. Do you know how, like, how long you have to request it? So this is also important. You can request an absentee ballot up until, like, the day of the election. There's no legal cutoff. The problem is, are you going to get it? And so that's why, in your mind, um, we're trying to tell people that you probably shouldn't request an absentee ballot after, like, October 5th um, to safely know that your application is going to get, you know, taken care of and also that you're going to get your ballot in time so that you can make sure that it gets counted and gets to the county election office. Okay, so everybody send in for one or get your voting strategy and plan organized. I've also been seeing a lot about people recruiting for people to work at polling stations. That's been a big initiative. Yeah, it's huge. Look, part of the biggest issue we had is a lot of the poll workers that we had were elderly retired people. And those are the people that are most vulnerable in the middle of a pandemic. So we get to election day and we have a bunch of people who are like, heck no, I can't work. So we've got new voting machines. We've got historic turnout and we don't have any poll workers to actually, you know, deal with the situation. So it was really a perfect storm in June in terms of how bad it really could be. I'm nervous. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I am. I am. But that's why I'm going to take a deep breath and we're going to change gears to another topic for just a second. And we have a guest coming up. So Obviously, in this pandemic, one of the biggest things that we've lost out on is music and live music. And in just a little bit, we're going to have Brandon Bush come on. And Brandon is a musician and a composer, and he's part of Save Our Stages, which is an initiative to try and help all these venues that are dark during all of this. But I want to talk to him about that, of course. But Jen, I want to go into politics and music for a minute, because a lot of artists, uh, we talked about polls. I've seen a lot of famous people encouraging people to go to the polls. So famous people, musicians are speaking out. And one artist first that spoke out and it got a lot of waves, not necessarily on voting, but Dolly Parton did this interview in Billboard magazine about Black Lives Matter. She was asked about Black Lives Matter. And she gave this incredible answer. Let's take a listen. I think that everybody needs to express themselves however they feel they have to. I'm not out, you know, like I said, I'm not out here to tell you what to do. I don't want you to tell me what to do, but I just do what my heart tells me to do. I ask God to direct me and lead me, and if I've got His direction, I don't have to worry too much about any anything else but i do understand people uh, having to make themselves known and felt and seen and of course black lives matter do we think our little white asses are the only ones that matter no everybody matters now of course dolly says everything's perfectly but and it was amazing to me that this made any waves at all uh but i think what dolly is saying is obviously (laughs) completely right Um, And people, uh, you know, and Dolly is somebody who has not been political at all. But what's interesting is, and here's a recommendation for you, her podcast called Dolly Parton's America talks about that, how sometimes 
What she's saying in her lyrics are actually very political, more political than you would think. And they really deep dive on that. And sometimes you just don't have to say it. Um, you don't have to say it. You, have, you don't have to do, do a tweet or do a speech or whatever to be political. You can write it in your art. But this has become a really, really polarizing thing, especially in country music. Well, I think we've, with the backlash, just even for Dolly Parton, who's beloved, right? Um but we've also seen with other groups, you know, that kind of are are more the younger set of country music that have kind of come out um, in support of specifically Black Lives Matter. Um, you know, it's the right thing to do. But at the end of the day, I know that their managers are probably wondering if they really should do it or not. Well, obviously, the term is you don't want to get Dixie chicked. Um, and you if you if you go back. And you think about what the Dixie Chicks did. Oh, man, that was that was a crazy time. The only thing people keep asking is, what are you going to say? Do you know what you're going to say? And as usual, I uh, didn't plan anything, but I thought I'd say something brand new and just say, just so you know, we're ashamed the president of the United States is from Texas. To think that what they said in comparison to now in comparison to anything Kid Rock has said, Ted Nugent has said on the right, Charlie Daniels, who was like a very, you know, may he rest in peace. I did not like his political views, but Devil Went Down to Georgia, still one of the greatest <laughs> fiddle songs of all time. But so it's really, really interesting to me with Dolly, um, because Dolly, like you say, is so universally loved. It's why Taylor Swift kind of stayed out of it for so long. Because you don't want to be treated like the Dixie Chicks. But I'll tell you, the norms are so different now. I mean, and really we're at a point in time in our country where if you don't speak out, like, who are you? Unfortunately, though, it doesn't always move the needle. So I remember it was 2018. She came out and she was like, everybody registered to vote because she was unhappy with Marsha Blackburn. Right. But it was Tennessee. I mean, that's also what we have to understand, too, is that these things don't happen overnight. Right. But a lot of this is about modeling and talking about things and talking to people who are listening to you, because if you don't say something, especially when you need to, then people think that whatever they're doing or whatever they think is okay when it may not be. And so really, you know, what's the the best way I like to look at it, especially because Georgia's kind of in the same position, which is how do you eat a sandwich one bite at a time? Well, I, I'm watching Killer Mike, who meets with Governor Kemp. And people were really not warming up to that idea at all. And I loved it. I thought it was, I don't like to give Governor Kemp credit for a whole lot. Sorry, I do. I, you know, I'm not his number one fan. Jen, you don't have to say anything because we know how you think. Uh, we read your op-ed. But the idea that he was open for conversation, I think you have to have those tough conversations. The idea that he was able to listen, I think is is somewhat progress. I think it was, you know, maybe it was a photo op opportunity for Governor Kemp to say, hey, look, I'm trying. Here I am. But... You know, when people say musicians can't get involved in politics, I really, I, I, I find that offensive because they're citizens and constituents. It's just like athletes. It's like when people say, oh, um, 
I'll give a shout out to one of our listeners, Joe Duffy, who is a guy who I go back and forth with on Twitter all the time. He's going to love it. He's a Cal Vulcan on Twitter. He's super conservative. Not super. He always, he's always is like, I'm a Reagan conservative. Yeah, okay. What does that mean? <laughs> okay. But his whole thing is um, that, that people should protest or say things on their own time, not on the company dime. And I don't agree with that uh, because I feel like when you have the biggest platform is when you should try to reach the most people. But even, but what does that even mean? Like, because when you're talking about an artist or when you're talking about a TV personality or radio personality, they are the product, right? They are the thing that is making the money for whatever company it is. So, you know, they get to control what that product is and exactly what they're putting out there. Now, look, I can see both sides of the killer Mike thing. I can see some folks saying, you know, we don't think he should have done it. Um, you know, he was just giving the governor the ability to do a photo op. It's not really real. It's not real change. Right. But at the same time, I think that Killer Mike understands that the optics are important um, and that being in the room is important. And now is the time to plot, plan, strategize, organize and mobilize. It is time to beat up prosecutors you don't like at the voting booth. It is time to hold mayoral offices accountable, chiefs and deputy chiefs. Atlanta is not perfect, but we're a lot better than we ever were, and we're a lot better than cities are. I'm mad as hell. Did they move the needle? I'm not sure. But I can tell you this much is that if he wasn't in the room, then it absolutely <laughs> nothing would have happened. So that's, that's the way you've got to kind of think about it. It's like, you know, either you can try or not. But if you don't try, then you're never going to get to where you want to be. Brandon Bush is a composer, musician, activist, dog lover. So he's in good company. Now, he's played with everybody from John Mayer to Train. He's a member of Sugarland with his brother Christian. He recently composed the music for Faith Saley's Approval Junkie at the Alliance Theater. And if that wasn't enough, he's also an activist for music and artist rights. Brandon and I served together on the board of the Atlanta Grammy chapter, but today he's here to talk about his involvement in Save Our Stages, trying to get the venues who are dark right now the support they need during this pandemic and how you can help. Brandon, it's great to see you. Oh, it's great to see you too. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. You know what's amazing is that he's a constituent. I am. We're neighbors. So who Yay! are you voting for? Oh, I'm in. Okay. I'm in 100%. So-, so. We started our email, which is voteherpodcast at gmail.com. And the very first email we ever got was from Brandon Bush. I'm on you like a hawk. I'm just like, come on. It's pretty incredible. I was like, where does he live? This is amazing. (laughs) So let's talk about uh, Save Our Stages right out of the gate. Um, Explain to us exactly what that is and what does it mean? Yeah. And I'll say right now, I am not a lawmaker. So, and uh, somebody who advocates for these things, um, I have, I have the base level knowledge of it, but, but I'll tell you what I know. So we have, there's actually two similar um, acts that are out right now and and they're in front of the house and uh, the Senate. So Save Our Stages and Restart 
And they have a lot of similar language. Restart is actually a little wider encompassing. Save Our Stages is a little more focused. Save Our Stages is also better named. Like, and I know that's part of the game and the laws. You've got to have a good name, good acronym, all this SOS. It's so good. Um, it's being pushed by NEVA, National Independent Venue Association, and other people, uh, organizations in the music industry. And then the Restart Act has a kind of a broader appeal. It's the one that the Recording Academy has put its weight behind, although everybody's on board with both. The general premise behind Save Our Stages is that uh, we look at music venues and extend a lot of the protections that were in place earlier this summer um, and in the spring to those to those businesses. Um, and it's, it's geared around a capped loan um, and or a percentage of their revenue. Um, it is primarily focused on making sure that those venues can keep their employees paid, can keep their rent paid, can stay open so that when we get to the other side of this, they exist. Um, it is very specifically targeted to independent venues. So we're not talking about the Live Nations and the AEGs, your amphitheaters, those things that have big pockets behind them, right? This is your Smithsole Bar here. This is your uh, Terminal West. This is your Variety Playhouse. These places that are vital to what we do when we go out for entertainment here in our environment. Yeah. So one of the things that was interesting about it is it looks like it, it it's kind of based on PPP in some ways, um, but it gives these venues more flexibility in terms of the money because of the overhead costs are so high. Is that kind of the Yes, the and, deal? and a lot of, particularly in the music industry, um, you have a lot of contract workers. So the people doing your sound and your lights or even people booking, people doing your social media, a lot of those people are working on contract versus being on salary. So, you know, the original extensions of, of support that came during the COVID times didn't they weren't really structured in such a way to help a lot of the gig economy, right? Because no, because specifically, so I've got a law firm and um, we applied for one of the PPP loans. But what you had to show was so many months, actually, uh, basically a year, we had to submit of your payroll, right? But if you have a bunch of independent contractors and all that, you don't necessarily have payroll. In, exactly. in, in the same way. And so I can see where it could have been a major problem. Yeah. And then those contractors go to apply for unemployment and they can't get unemployment because they're contractors or 1099, right? So, so particularly with music venues, you might think look like, well, we've got a lot of things to save. Why don't we save our dentist's office too, right? <laughs> There's a lot of important sure. businesses out there. Everyone's hurting. Um, and that is true. The entertainment industry is first to close and they will be the last to open. So this is the longest stretch that businesses will go through, except maybe escape rooms. I don't know what, you know, is going on in that world, but you've got this very specific. That's a little problem. weird. <laughs> <laughs> I just really thought of that the other example. day. I was like, escape rooms. I know, that's a lot what of you do with escape rooms? But, you know, not only are they likely to not survive because of that period, they have to be closed. But also there is this direct correlation to um, a dollar spent when you go out to see a band is actually $12 for the economy. And what that means is you're going to get dinner, you're getting a babysitter, you're parking, you're doing all of these other things to do with your night out. Now, I know a lot of us are like, okay, I'll stream my Bruce Springsteen concert at home now. That's awesome, right? And it's great. But that economic impact into our community is lost. And if we lose those venues, 
we're going to lose that economic impact on the other side of this. I know my heart is breaking for not only the venues, but for the artists too. And as you say, independent contractors, people who, or, or, you know, a lot of those people that work at those venues when they're serving beer, that's just a part-time job. Uh, So it is hard for them to kind of quantify what's actually happening and all that. So what can we do? How can we be an activist to make change in this, Brandon? So glad you asked. So when you look at uh, music economies in the United States, there's some very obvious ones. Nashville, Austin, uh, L.A., New York, uh, Minneapolis. Um, There are Chicago. There are cities that are vibrant with music economies. Atlanta is one of those. Atlanta thrives on its music industry. We do not have any co-signers on any of these bills. Well, we have one house uh, representative co-signing to restart. But specifically in the Senate, where, as you know, like the decision-making is happening or not happening, um, we have our senators have not co-signed onto this. It's, it's feeling like a, a hashtag Hi Kelly moment. Well, I want Hi Kelly... <laughs> Kelly, because I would think that Kelly Leffler, our senator, who every now and then I tweet her <laughs> a couple of times a day, likes music. And I'm sure David Perdue, our U.S. senator, likes music. And reading about Save Our Stages, we learned that this is a bipartisan uh, initiative. Yes, these bills are both bipartisan, Restart and Save Our Stages. They have widespread bipartisan support in both houses, and yet our Georgia representatives are not signed on. Now, I will tell you, the Recording Academy does its advocacy reach out every year. We just met with every Georgia representative, and we gave them the information. They have the packet. I met with Senator Perdue's office. They have the information, right? What they don't have is the groundswell of, uh, of supporters telling them this is important. And I think that's really the call to action right now is to get on and write that letter. Let them know that this is a vital part of the work they should be doing right now. I think you need to do this. Is there a website where you can get more information? Yeah, Save Our Stages. So it's saveourstages.org. But, um, dot com. Dot com, thank you. It's saveourstages.com. It's where you can get the information. Yes. And there's actually a nice little template letter where you can just copy-paste send it over to them. What was that like meeting with David Perdue's team? You know, I've, I have met with, uh, in the role of, of, so I used to co-chair the Recording Academy's National Advocacy Committee. I was actually the, the head of their PAC. We have, a, we have a political action committee, and I felt like I had just signed a deal with something terrible when I got like, <laughs> I'm the president of a PAC all of a sudden. Um, but, it, but it really gave me the 101 in the world of advocacy in, in D.C., and in doing that, I have now met with, I would say, 50-plus lawmakers. And uh, you learn a lot when you go in and you meet their staff. Because a lot of times you're meeting with the lawmaker. A lot of times you're meeting with, like, the chief of staff. A lot of times you're meeting with a 24-year-old whiz kid who's just got, you know, like, they are fresh and ready and they are brilliant and they are oftentimes who's really running uh, everything on the federal level I've turned I've, I've realized but what you really re- you get this reflection of what life is like in their offices every day and sometimes it's really cold and it's chilly to me when I think about they're making decisions that affect all of us and this is where they work this is the world they've created 
This is the reflection of their personality. So were you saying you needed a sweater in yeah. Purdue's office? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but actually, the, it, uh, we had a really we had a great meeting with Senator uh, Purdue's office. And I'll tell you one thing that, particularly when I'm advocating for musicians' rights, intellectual property is is core to what we are are advocating for. And intellectual, even though I'm a flaming liberal, and I will like with my heart, um, fall far on the left side of things. I'm ready to hand over the keys of production to the masses. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm a, a crazy liberal. However, I'm also a rational person, like in my brain. And I know to get things done, you really have to find, meet people where they are and you have to see all sides. Intellectual property is one of those great areas where I can sit down with somebody who is across the aisle from me ideologically. And we can find this very clear common ground which is it's important to protect those things that you make, right? Those things that you make that are yours, that you can control and, and keep big tech from running off with them. Um, and that's where we find our common ground. So it's about knowing, knowing your audience, just like in music. <laughs> we talked about that, actually, Jen and I talked about that, about um, artists speaking out. And I think, Brandon, you bring up a great point because you are in a pack and you're a musician and you're being an activist being and you're getting things done. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Jen, we got to champion this cause for Brandon. No, I think so. But even, if, I mean, what's interesting, I was sitting here because I'm always like, what motivates people? What's going to kind of push them? And I know in the state of Georgia, there's such a, a focus kind of on the film industry. Um, but there are so many people and things that overlap um, between the music industry here and the film industry. And really it is that vibrant kind of creative community that is really what drew a lot of um, kind of the film studios here in the first place. And so I don't know, maybe trying to figure out a way to kind of bring it all together um, to make people see just how significant and important this is. Well, and one of the things that, uh, and I've been brainstorming with this with with Neva, is that uh, esports, which is huge here in Atlanta and booming, right, very much relies on venues, right? It's part of this world. And, uh, and it drives ticket sales, as does live podcasts. Like, there's all these worlds out there that drive ticket sales, and they're all allies in this fight to make sure these places are there for us at the other side. Yeah, I think it's getting the allies together to really yeah. push and understand that, that they're impacted. And if these venues go away, it's not going to be good for anybody. No, it's not. And I miss live music so much. I know. I really do. I know. It's so... It's interesting as we kind of toy with this world of, um, I, I did a live stream last week that was uh, closed, no audience. With Billy Pilgrim. With Billy Pilgrim. Let's old, give a plug to Billy yes. Pilgrim, which is um, your brother Christian's. Yeah, and um, Andrew Hira, his old partner. Of course, um, which was great. But your brother is not political at all. You know, yeah, country music and political uh, viewpoints. It's a sticking point, right? But his partner in Sugarland, Chris um, Jennifer. Jennifer Nettles, is yeah. extremely political. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Well, I, I don't want you to have to speak for Christian, but yeah, you know, um, he certainly is passionate about issues, and I think that there is um, there is a, a certain line you have to to play in country music. And here's a, if while well, I have a soapbox, if you allow me. <laughs> So country music, country music is about authenticity, um, and and that's not true in all genres. Right? In pop, you're you're not trading in authenticity. That's not your your currency. It doesn't really matter who you are versus what you're singing. Right? 
Um, and I, I would say in hip hop, very much authenticity is your currency. Um, what's different in those two worlds, hip hop and country, is in country, it's very much a, a, a fabricated industry. You are singing other people's songs. You are uh, co-writing. Like what you're actually singing is quite often, quote unquote, not authentic. It's not what you woke up and decided you needed to share to the world, right? But your perception is that absolutely Willie Nelson believes 150% of every word he said to me, as does Chris Stapleton, as does, you know, um, anybody else, right? You know, like Kenny Chesney. Or even like back in the day, Johnny Cash, who was such an activist, and it hurt his career too. Sure. Sure. And I think, so, so when you break that wall, right, when, when and one of these country music stars says something that you don't think lines up with your perception of who they are authentically, oh, it just breaks your heart, right? Makes you angry, all these things. And it's, it's built on sort of, <laughs> if you understood the structure, which is not a lie, it's simply entertainment, right? A, a great country song is something so personal and yet so universal, and it touches your soul, even though you don't know that experience. A baby girl from Sugarland is a perfect example, right? It, unless you literally told your parents, I'm moving to Nashville with my guitar at 16 years old, and you were female, and you became successful, that song is not about you, right? Sure. <laughs> but yet that song resonates so wide. Right, because it's a bad song about um, a child flying the nest. Yes. That, that So so that, that it does connect. But, you know, it, it, on the flip side of that, if one of my favorite artists suddenly came out being a Trump supporter, maybe hard for me to be a fan of them again. Fair, right? It's fair. And I think... Hate to say it, but true. I think that there is, uh, with celebrity, there comes a responsibility. And I, I think with sports is a great way to see this. If you cash that check, if you go home with a check and you put it in the bank, and it is so ridiculously outsized based on the work you just did, Okay, which is fair. You earned it, but it's bizarre. When you put it in the bank, now you have a responsibility because that came with celebrity and fame. And when that means you can't uh, take your dog's dog fighting, right? You shouldn't do that because that reflects. People look up to you. They're aspiring to be you. You have to think about your actions. Now, that comes with the check. Now, when you speak out for something politically, I think that it muddies the water a little bit, right? Because to some people you have, you can no longer look up to this person. And where I draw that line is where I like to draw the line between like political and humanity, right? If I'm going to say, um, yes, black people in our society deserve to have their lives matter, right? That's a human statement. That really shouldn't be controversial. It's not a political statement, right? It sure isn't. Right. But if I'm going to tell you that, uh, I I don't know, I can't even think of anything like, but if if I'm going to tell you, um, I think you could. I think we talked about Taylor Swift, who was really getting behind voting, talking about voting. And a lot of people, um, kind of shit on her about it there's yeah. like stay out of politics yeah. and what do you know um right this isn't your lane it, yeah right. and in my mind i'm like she is a billion dollar selling artist i think she knows a thing or two about how business works yeah yeah and uh, a lesson in civics is not a lesson in politics ah, ah. i like that right Ooh, we may have to use that as a 
but segment I, on this show. I like that. But think of that as true, right? Because it's if you're going to tell everybody to go vote, if I'm going to help people vote, I know we know what the numbers say. We know that the numbers say if more people vote, then more Democrats get elected. That's not a problem of the Democrats, right? <laughs> That's reality. And uh, and not always true in every demographic if you look at it. So, uh, But the point is, access to voting or telling people to vote is a civics issue. That's not a political issue. Well, everybody should go to saveourstages.com. It's hashtag saveourstages. You can get all the information. We encourage you to write a letter. Hi, David. Hi, Kelly. Um, tweet, if that's your, uh, yeah. tweet, your choice. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Reddit. What else am I missing? Um, I'm trying to be on every social media platform, it. but I'm exhausted. There's one being it. invented right now you probably haven't mentioned. <laughs> oh, don't forget about Parlor. Oh, stop. <laughs> I even joined that, by the way. But they actually may respond to you on that. <laughs> Brandon, thanks so much for taking hey, the time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We didn't do this last week, but I want to do it again. It is our sure Jan of the week. And we have to clarify Shore Jam because your son, who was, we talked about at the top of the show, didn't understand what Shore Jam yeah, was. Yeah, so he's 15 and he asked me, he said, who exactly are you trying to reach here? Because I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> All right, so Jan is somebody who uh, was on the Brady Bunch, obviously, and she- It almost sounds silly to even explain that. Basically, she lied and Marsha, her sister, said, Shore Jan. Sure, Jan. So I want to give the short Jan to Sarah Sanders this week because Sarah Sanders is out there promoting a book. She's the former press secretary for the president talking about calling fallen soldiers, um, which was later debunked that that wasn't true. And I mean, what does he have on her that he can just go? She goes out there and like literally like I would want her to be my press secretary because she would defend anything I did. Yeah, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that she's running or she wants to run to be governor of the state of Of Arkansas. So there's there's a lot of self-interest here. But not only, George, was I there that day, but I spent more time with the president over two and a half years than just about anybody outside of his family. And I saw a president who loves this country, who loves the men and women of our armed forces. I sat with him in the Oval Office as he had to make that awful call to let a parent know that their son had been killed in Afghanistan. At no time, other than that moment, have I seen the president show his heart more, show his vulnerability more than in that time. That's because he understands the sacrifice those people are making. Nothing could be further from the truth than the fact that this is a president who loves our country and loves and respects the men and women who fight for it and protect it and allow the rest of us to live in it. Sarah, you just said something I want to clarify. You said you, you were with the president when he called a family to notify them that their son had been killed in Afghanistan. I thought it was a military protocol that it was always the military that went in person to see the parents. Are you talking about a condolence call? Yes, correct. A condolence call after that after that after that individual had been notified. 
All right, we're going to wrap up the Vote Her podcast. Thanks for listening today. Remember, you can always send us listener feedback to voteherpodcast at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook at Vote Her Podcast. And when you subscribe, make sure you give us a five-star review or a four-star. We're not cutting the mustard. No, you can do five. <laughs> okay. Our producer is Christina Laurenter. Thanks so much for all your help. Thanks to Kate Cradival. Did I say her last name right? You did. Beautiful. Okay. She is our associate content producer. We thank her for that. We want to thank Brandon Bush for giving us the time today to talk about Save Our Stages. We want to thank Terminus Records for the music today. And who knows what kind of new music we'll have on the show as we keep moving on. Um, but we will be back next week and we will talk to you then. Y'all have a good one.